sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand. Stunt me a destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam. Put some respect on my name. Sick like a rain, click and I bang. Y'all gon' remember the name. Y'all gon' remember the name. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. On today's episode, we have got on another amazing guest. This is going to be a really interesting conversation. She is the author of the new book, Facing the Beast, and this is Naomi Wolf. Welcome to the show. It's really a wonderful honor to be talking to you, Subi. I've been an admirer. Awesome. I appreciate that. So Naomi, I've done a very brief intro there, but for people who may not know you, please tell them a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I've written nine nonfiction books that were all bestsellers, and I'm CEO of a civic tech company called Daily Clout, which helps people interact with legislation more easily and makes all bills in the U.S. socially shareable. Um, and I guess most recently, you know, I wrote this book, uh, Facing the Beast, about the journey of the last two and a half years since the pandemic. Um and, and about how in June of 2021, I was kind of very uh, dramatically deplatformed um, from every platform on the left where I'd been a fixture for 35 years because of accurate reporting about menstrual problems that women are having with the mRNA injection. And so the, the book tells the story of kind of what happened since then and how in talking to conservatives and libertarians and people across the political chessboard, which has been completely upended, um, I came to uh, re-examine a lot of my fixed beliefs. And it also tells the story of these 3,500 doctors and scientists who volunteered to read through the Pfizer documents released under court order and, and how they found the greatest crime against humanity ever in, in those reports. Wow. Well, there's a lot to get into here. So, I mean, you built your career primarily as a well-known feminist writer. Is that fair to say? So, as you said, you were firmly on the left side of the aisle and held up and promoted by all those people. But it seems like in the last couple of years, they have uh, rejected and denied and and canceled you because of some of your stances on some of yeah. these issues. So tell me what that what that journey has been like. Sure. And, you know, I should stress that I don't mind being personally rejected and canceled, especially for good reasons. It seems quite intellectually bankrupt to reject being canceled me for accurate and important reporting that turned out to foreshadow a really horrible problem that millions of women are having around the world, having to do with menstrual dysregulation, horrible symptoms, but also with infertility. Now, two years on, you know, it's quite predictable that menstrual problems in 2021 would become fertility problems in 2023. And that's what we're seeing, a 13 to 20% drop in live births around the world, but especially in the West. Um, yeah, I don't mind kind of personally being ejected, but what's very concerning is the bigger picture of, of what that represents. Um, and the bigger picture, I really go into it in Facing the Beast, is that you know, I haven't changed. I'm, I'm doing the exact same kind of reporting I've done for 35 years. You know, I, I, I made my reputation writing about women's sexual and reproductive health in books like The Beauty Myth and Misconceptions and um, Vagina, uh, a book about female sexuality. So that's not new. What's shocking is that people you know, on, in my tribe, and I firmly identified with my tribe on the left, we used to be the ones who were 
inclusive and tolerant. And now we've become the ones who are judgmental and intolerant and who firmly embraced in Britain and in America and you know, in Western countries, a two-tier society overnight based on the vaccinated and the unvaccinated, based on medical status, and who happily restricted the rights and liberties of their fellow citizens. Um, that was the left, you know, it, the left is supposed to be the, um, the, the center of critical thinking. Uh, the people that I used, who used to be in my kind of my team of alliances, my, my tribe are highly educated um, journalists and editors, and uh, they sit on boards of big companies and they're lawyers and they know how to analyze evidence, but they're the ones who for the last two and a half years have been saying, don't show me, don't show me that article, don't show me that primary source document. I don't want to see what you found. Um, and they're the ones, you know, we used to know on the left, we knew better than anyone that governments lie to citizens sometimes, and that big corporations lie about their products and about the safety and efficacy of their products. And, and it's and we knew that on the left about so many things, about thalidomide and about the Pentagon Papers and about Watergate. You know, I could go on and on. We knew that governments lied and corporations lied. And this, these are the same people who, you know, will, will deny people their tenure or their jobs as firefighters or nurses or, you know, first responders if they question a product by a giant pharmaceutical company. Um, you know, we're the ones who used to know what the Nuremberg Code meant. You know, I'm Jewish. Like, you know, so many of my former allies and friends are are Jewish or who or have experienced coercion in various ways. We have a horrible legacy of medical experimentation in this country, um, especially on vulnerable people or on marginalized people. And overnight, the same people who are of that history or who know those histories. Um, we're happy to deny other people their their right to informed consent. So it's it's baffling um, that you know my side of the fence became so coercive, so tyrannical, so interested in policing other you know the bodies of others, which is the title of my last book. Um, so intrusive, uh, so discriminatory. And, and also we're so willing to march in intellectual lockstep to a bunch of beliefs that turned out to be nonsensical. Mm. How much of that do you think was them changing overnight versus you realizing? Because <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you as someone who's always been a non-leftist, uh, it wasn't overnight. <laughs> wow. When did you realize first? Wow. Teens? 20 years ago, maybe, and then massively intensified in the past 10 years. Right. What happened yeah. 25 years ago to lead you to question? Wow. Well, I mean, look, I, I don't really like playing the sort of simple left-right binary. It, it's, it's, it's not a simple dichotomy. Right. But I've, my entire, since I've ever been any type of sort of politically or, or socially aware, let's say in my late teens and then certainly in my 20s, let alone 30s, um, I've never bought the narrative that, you know, the left are the good guys and the right are the bad guys kind of narrative that a lot of young people do buy into. Right. Um, I think a lot of young people buy that narrative. You know, if you want to 
it doesn't even matter the country, right? In the if you're in the UK and you're young, do vote Labour because yeah. you know those evil Tories or you know they hate everyone and they're racist and they're bigots and they're this and they're that and they're on the side of the corporations. You know, same in the US, same dichotomy. Yeah. If you're young, you know, or you're a woman or you're black, you should vote Democrat because those Republicans are evil conservatives and they're on the side of all the bad stuff and the right. leftists are on the side of all the good stuff. Um, I've I've never bought. I've never bought into that narrative. I guess I've always had a more nuanced opinion of it. And I've always seen that there are people across the aisle who, you know, well, firstly, it's not, it's not a simple spectrum, right? You also have authoritarianism and libertarianism. Right. So you can have someone who's on the right, who's super authoritarian, but you can have people on the left who's super authoritarian. And we, we, we've seen this all throughout human history. I mean, look at the 20th century. You've had, you know, crazy right wing crazy right-wingers and you've had crazy left-wingers who have done awful things all around the world. So I think I've, I've sort of seen it more on the authoritarian libertarian spectrum. I think more than left and right, and maybe you'd agree with me on this, especially after the last few years, I think it's more like people who want to be left alone and people who refuse to leave each other alone. Um, <laughs> that, that's a, maybe a bit of an oversimplification. Only meaningful distinction but, here, absolutely. Yeah, but I, I've generally been on the, I, I mostly lean libertarian. I'm libertarian conservative. I'm, I'm somewhere in that pocket, but certainly when it comes to the government and the state and mandates and stuff like that, I'm generally on the side of like, you know, if you're not harming or killing or robbing people for the most part, like, hey, let's leave people alone. I can have my beliefs. You can have yours. You, you might think I'm very wrong. I might think you're very wrong. It could be political. It could be religious, social, cultural, whatever. But we can coexist. And if you don't use the force, you know, if you don't weaponize the state and the government against me, I'm not going to weaponize it against you. And but I think especially in the past 10 years, especially with the rise of um, what people call woke ideology, right? Some of the views on race and the gender stuff and especially the transgenderism stuff and the the way the lgbt movement has gone from being hey treat people fairly and equally and don't discriminate people or gay bash or beat people up or whatever right to you know where we're at the stage now where it's like hey if you don't call that person with a penis a woman you're a bigot if you don't let men compete with females in sports you're a transphobe if you don't raise the rainbow flag and fly it on your building you know you're hateful and you're this and you're this and so i've seen this creep of authoritarianism that's been coming more from the left side of the aisle than from the right side for for quite a bit there might even be a little bit of a pendulum swing back that's starting to happen quite recently so i guess i've seen all of that and then over the last few years with the whole pandemic situation and just seeing who was pushing for the lockdowns and who was pushing for the forced vaccinations and who was pushing for all these mandates and so on. That to me was kind of like a continuation of a lot of the authoritarianism that I had already seen. And a lot of us, a lot of the genuine intolerance, mm. um, you know, the, the sort of mantra these days is, you know, diversity, inclusion, and equity. And I'm like, no, people, people like diversity on the most skin on, on the most surface level right you know you want people who look different and maybe have different genders and sexualities but they all think the same <laughs> and actually if if you are more conservative you you very quickly realize just how intolerant that those type of people can be and they you know want to make it out that you're the hateful one and i'm like hey i'm not i'm not hating on anyone i just have my views and my opinions i'm down to live and let live 
but that's not enough for them. They want you to conform. And oftentimes they're willing to create laws and mandates and policies, whether that's at university level or governmental level to try to force everybody to think the same way. So that's how I've observed it. Well, I, you know, this is why I have been following you so long on social media. Um, so, so bracing. And I have to say, you know, there's something in the air because I was literally just writing that essay about mission creep in the LGBT community. And that I don't think it's organic. I mean, I've studied, you know, the LGBT, the history of the gay and liberation, gay and lesbian, that sounds so retro now, but the gay and lesbian rights movement. Um, you know, I want to pr proceed this by saying I'm a big supporter of LGBT rights. And, you know, as you and I have discussed, that is broadening and broadening in meaning. What does it even mean now? And so I just wanted to restate that my study of the history of the gay and lesbian rights movement, which was the subject of my doctoral thesis at Oxford and the subject of a book I wrote in 2019 that was um, aggressively <laughs> attacked and then pulped, um, it proves that the LGBT rights movement for the last 200 years in Britain and America was the opposite of what we're being propagandized to believe it is now. It was an individualistic, privacy-oriented, and legal rights-oriented movement. It was much more libertarian in focus or in orientation than collectivist. It wasn't collectivist. It wasn't about policing other people. It wasn't about um, shaming or conforming, you know, the rest of society to certain norms. It was very um, much about, you know, you live your life. We'd like to live our lives. Um, you have your privacy to be intimate with the person you love. You know, we should have our privacy to be intimate with the people we love. And it, it was like not Marxist. I mean, there's no simple way to say that. It was a very Western um, movement, you know, very much like the civil rights movement, you know, later and uh, the, the women's movement at its best later in that it took this idea of uh, equal rights under the Constitution, simply, you know, argued for the expansion to include people who were being left out of equal treatment under law. Um, so what I was saying was that, um, you know, and I really never wanted to get into this morass because, you know, ever since 2019, I began to notice that whenever I spoke up for the right of trans women to be whatever, treated respectfully, um, and speaking up as a feminist, which I thought was important, especially in Britain, because there was this weird, like, turf argument that pitted feminists who were biological women against uh, trans women, which was, again, wholly artificial. Um, but I began to notice there were massive amounts of bots and, and trolls that would attack me when I did that. And that this was a very, something external was hyping these divisions, right? And I thought, well, that's very clever because feminist biological women and the LGBT movement are, have been historical allies. That's an important voting block. And if you can split them apart, you fragmented a big part of the population. And LGBT is a pretty big 10%, you know, voting block. And if you can split that group, you know, from being in alignment with each other, that disempowers the West. And so it was part of this whole, I realized that there was something artificially, um, weaponizing this issue and creating artificial divisions and symbolism 
that was external to it. Um, and so just the example I wanted to give was I was doing a video for my civic tech uh, uh, platforms, uh, Daily Clout, about this really great bill, a model bill in California, which passed, which took, um, it took taxation off of menstrual care products on the basis that that was a discriminatory taxation because men were not having to pay taxes because they weren't menstruating. Um, and I was chided by someone sitting nearby in this civic tech space who objected to my saying that women menstruate. And um, she objected or they objected, I'm sorry, because they said men also menstruate, you know, trans. I really don't even remember. What was this? <laughs> what was the, sorry, what, was the person objecting male or female? Um, well, I think that I'm trying, I, to, I'm trying I to understand this I, I couldn't and shouldn't categorize the person by gender. Um, and I'll get to that well, in a minute. Well, okay. But I think the person would have identified as neither, right? Um, which I'll get to in just a second because there's a new category okay. that's been introduced to the language. But I mean, the person looked biologically female to me, but opting out of the binary, right? So, um, but again, these are the kinds of superficial assessments that feminists like me have been arguing against forever. You're not supposed to judge people on the basis of their appearance. Um, anyway, the, the point I want to stress is that the effect of that person not wanting me to say women who menstruate or menstruating women uh, meant that a really good bill, which was actually picked up by 16 other states and the EU because it was such a good bill and, and especially helped poor women, you know, because menstrual care products are a big chunk of low income women's budget. Right. Um, I couldn't effectively talk about this important civic issue, this important issue of public uh, justice really you know and <clears throat> the the other thing that it demonstrated you and I were talking about earlier which is this kind of mission creep in the task of supporting constitutional rights which is now it's not enough which I thoroughly do to support and defend and advocate for the right of lesbians and gay men bisexual people and trans people to have equality under law, to be treated equally under law. Um, but it now includes all these uh, really artificial norms um, that are constantly changing. And the effect of that is like, it's always sold as this is polite to this minority or this is polite to these people who are suffering oppression. Um, but the effect is to destroy our ability to be citizens together, which is where real justice and, and real a, a really good society where people have equality of opportunity comes from if we can problem solve together. Um, so it, it smashes the West is my, is my thesis that these, these artificially inflated or complicated norms, really their goal really isn't about trans issues or, you know, racial issues or historical issues. They're really about a meta goal of it, uh, heightening divisions in the West so that people can't talk to each other as citizens anymore and solve problems as a community um, so that we can be, so other bad things can happen to us, like, you know, destruction uh, geopolitically. Mm -hmm. And I guess there was one last thing I want to say, which is really interesting, which is that these coinages, AI can make them super fast and very targeted. And I think that's what's happening now, because as a student of language, 
language is not um, changing organically through usage. New stuff that is totally inorganic, even to English, is being introduced like cis, right? Cisgender came out of nowhere, isn't organic to our language. No one had ever used it before. And then the definition is very existentially destabilizing because I looked up what is trans and also in the definition of trans that was the top one from Planned Parenthood. It's a totally different definition of trans and gender than I grew up with, maybe than you grew up with, than most, than Harvey Milk grew up with. It's all new and it has nothing to do with the historical, you know, gay and lesbian rights movement um, or even the movement for transgender people rights, which I guess is a word you're not supposed to say anymore, which I didn't know. So, wait, you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to say which word? Transgender. I didn't know that. You're just supposed to say trans. Oh, wait, what? They got rid of the gender <laughs> altogether. The oh, wow. These people they, really want to destroy the whole world. They do, but I, I promise I'll stop <laughs> in just a minute. Okay, well, yeah, go ahead. But again, I'm stressing, I don't believe this is organic to this movement. I think these are outside provocateurs. I think it's funded. You know, this is not how people in this movement have ever historically behaved toward women or toward the rest of the world. Um, but cisgender is now not defined as, are you a man or a woman? Uh, it's defined as what gender were you assigned at birth and do you feel like you're that gender? And I'm sure people have done a lot of work on this, but to me as a feminist, that's like, if that's all it is, you know, why am I being paid 30 cents less on the dollar? <laughs> I mean, that's all it is. The whole history of patriarchy, the whole objectification and trafficking of the female body, the whole role of the female body in reproduction and, you know, the whole experience of the female body in sexual assault. Like all of that is meaningless because it's just a label you get. At, it's that easy. And then that goes to why so many, especially teenage girls are opting for gender reassignment surgery because it also says that you're trans, this definition of Planned Parenthood says that you're trans if you don't align with strict gender norms. Well, I don't align with strict gender norms align. You probably don't align with strict gender norms, but never in a million years, in my knowledge of the, the traditional LGBT movement, would I have thought that questioning strict gender norms means that I call myself trans, you know, and, and also it creates this, like, and I promise I'll stop in just a minute, but I literally was just working on this essay and I'm kind of on fire because it's so bad. Um, if trans is defined as not uh, accepting or, or agreeing with quote strict gender norms, then literally any, 15 year old girl, especially, but lots of 15 year old boys will want to choose that identity if that's the definition, right? It used to be when I was growing up, you were transgender if you felt from birth that you were born into the wrong gender body. Um, and even transgender and transsexual are pretty recent coinages because sexual reassignment surgery is 20, 20th century thing. They didn't exist in the 19th century. So I guess what I'm trying to say is the redefinition is creating a whole new epistemological category in the minds of everybody, but especially young people, in which if they question rigid gender norms, which any thinking person should do, therefore they are trans. And the last thing I will say is there's this new word, gender queer. 
um, and genderqueer completely explodes any kind of same-sex attraction, you know, or any alliance to the history of the lesbian gay rights movement altogether, because genderqueer literally is totally optional. You can opt into being genderqueer, you can opt out of being genderqueer. And I, you know, as a kind of libertarian leaning person, I have no problem with anyone calling themselves a woman, dressing as a woman, calling themselves a man, dressing as a man. God bless you. Have fun. You know, who wouldn't if they, if they could like, you know, I would gladly travel in another gender, you know, or, or cash my paycheck in another gender, like there, you know, or, or, you know, there are all kinds of things one it can imagine doing in another gender that would be fun that I won't go into, but, um, uh, but this this coinage of genderqueer means that um, anyone can say they're genderqueer if they just want to not be binary. And like I see the appeal of that, but it raises you know very problematic questions because a it has nothing to do with the history of gay and lesbian people really. And, and people who do feel like they're born in the wrong gender and the very minority of people who actually have indeterminate genitals because that's what they were born with. Um, it, it, it is a whole new thing that's not really anything to do with the history of that movement. It's a, it's a, it's a whole new kind of lifestyle option. And I'm not judging it, but I think we have to recognize that a whole new lifestyle option of I'm just not going to choose a gender <laughs> um, kind of, well, as part of a curriculum, anyone would choose that, right? Who wants to be stuck in a gender? But also it kind of does the combination of that and the attack on saying woman kind of does erase feminism. It erases the whole history of patriarchy and and it kind of elides the lived experience we have in bodies where there still is like functional discrimination against a labor that, you know, I would say women still have to do that they can't just opt out of by saying, well, I'm just going to be genderqueer now. I'm not saying I have an answer to that. I'm just saying it's impactful and worthy of exploration that when you're a 12 or 13 or 14 year old girl or boy and you look up what is trans, you get all these options to just opt out of gender or or you're or really you're told that your gender doesn't exist and doesn't matter. Um, and I I think that that's valuable to consider because any of us, given the choice, would choose a, a, a more flexible, more flexible um, experience of gender. I don't think that's true. OK. That last go, statement. Go <laughs> you said you think any, any of us would choose a more flexible uh, sort of gender experience. I can't remember exactly how you how you worded I, it. That's pretty that. much what I said. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, I said that's that's not true. I absolutely would not. I'm very happy being a being a man and being hard stuck in that uh, <laughs> one option of the of the binary. Right. Um, wow, you've said so much. I was yeah. I was smiling as you were saying it because I was thinking that you're like. I think you're I think you're like five to ten years away from becoming a conservative. Oh gosh, no. <laughs> I feel I feel like you're you're at that like realization point where well, maybe you, you you're raise trying to sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry. Yeah, no, I, I was saying I think you're kind of at the realization point where you're realizing like how all of these different ideologies 
are clashing in this sort of nonsensical, illogical way in which they they cancel each other out because they can't all be simultaneously, they can't all be simultaneously true, right? You used the word exploded before, and that's what right. it is, right? It's just the well, whole thing, just none of it, none of it makes sense, right? So as you're working through it, I'm like, to me, I'm just like, this whole thing is really simple. Um, and people are have made it, have made it so complicated, I think largely intentionally there's some sure i'm sure there's some external forces as you've mentioned as well but also like within these movements mm. i think the confusion is part of the point yeah right they're getting people they're getting yeah. people to trip up and laying all these minds everywhere when it comes to pronouns and labels and words and sexes and gender and this and this and this mm. it's it's completely incoherent totally. and it tries to force people to do double think because the truth is everybody does know what a woman is. Everyone knows exactly what a woman is and people do know what exactly what a man is. Um, I won't speak for you as a woman, but I won't, I won't speak for you as a woman, but I think you probably should take some offense if a guy like me comes along and says, Oh, I'm a woman now. I'm exactly like a woman. My, my, you know, you know, like everything that girls and women go through and experience and the way they experience you know what like i'm just going to step into that costume and i'm now a woman and you should you sh not should you must call me that and you must address me this way and you must treat me exactly the same way as a woman and allow me to enter your spaces and all that i'm a man and i'm mm -hmm. very happily a man and i find that offensive i find that misogynistic and i don't throw the word misogyny yeah. around a lot i don't think there is anything more misogynistic than the transgender movement. The modern transgender movement is the most misogynistic thing I believe that exists. People want to talk to patriarchy. I'm like, that right there is the patriarchy. Having men wandering into female changing rooms and spaces and prisons and sports and just doing whatever they want and people taking their side and allowing and permitting that, I think that's abhorrent. I mean, I think that is... That is gender blackface. <laughs> that, that, that is Ooh. right. Being being a woman is not a oh, yeah. <laughs> being being be, for real. Just like I'd I'd be offended if someone you know just pops a white person just comes. Oh, I'm I'm a black man now. Isn't that interesting? Sorry, I'm sorry to jump in. There's just so much. It's so interesting you say that because the reaction of the left to Rachel, I forgot her last name, the woman who told everyone that she was right, a woman of yeah. color totally condemnatory whereas you know the the analogous appropriation of of gender that we're all supposed to kind of kowtow to without question totally lauded you're you're uh, look like, I, lo I, 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 lo I love that you went there because i'll tell you something it makes no sense transracialism makes more sense than transgenderism that's true because, i mean that's true just historically yeah. Yeah, it's also true because race is actually truly a spectrum. It's right? also it's true. invented in the 14th and 15th century. I mean, it, it, like yeah, the West used to like see people in those categories. Exactly. It's truly socially constructed and it's truly a spectrum, right? If I have children with uh, an Asian woman or a white woman or a Latina woman, and now the children are, they're, they're literally on a spectrum. Each child is going to be either male or female. Their sexes are binary, right? Each child is a male or a female but they're not, they're not just black or just white or just Asian or whatever. Yeah. And the fact that we, even the way we use the language, right? When people say that Barack Obama is black, he's just as white as he is black. 
totally. but because of the social construction of the language, the black takes priority over the white in the way that people speak in sort of those terms. Where, but because if someone said Obama is white, they'd look at you weird. If you yeah. say he's black, they're like, yeah, he's black. I'm like, he's just as black as he is white. Yeah. So as far as I'm concerned, when, you know, when people are talking all this stuff about transgenderism, I'm like, okay, well, what are your thoughts on transracialism? And oftentimes they're like, oh, oftentimes they're like, oh, no, that's silly. Like, that doesn't make sense. And I'm like, wait, no, Oh my gosh. this it makes more sense. It makes no logical coherence to say that this one is valid. But then why can't I if I can identify as a woman, why can't I identify as a white man? Right. Right. In terms of actually my quote unquote lived experience. Right. It's probably closer to that of a white man of a similar age and lifestyle mm -hmm. than it is to a black woman. Like mm -hmm. there's things as a woman, like I, I'm a man, like I, I, yeah. I, I can probably imagine what it's like to have a white man's body. Cause I just imagine having my own, but with a different amount of melanin. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but I cannot imagine having a female, like literally different biological parts, different, like that's totally different. My physical frame, my, my voice, my appearance, the body parts that I have, like it's, it's all different now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think the, uh, you mentioned TERFs earlier. Um, I, I side heavily with the TERFs. I, I think that women should take more offense at well, uh, men simply identifying into their category. So uh, this gets so messy, but like, I guess what I'd like to point out is that all of these um, goals have migrated, right? Like if the goal, the goal of the, of, of trans people that I, recall um until a decade ago um was respect you know just to be respected like anyone else is respected yeah I'm and that. yeah absolutely and and so when when you know trans exclusionary radical feminist that's why i don't agree with them because they they can be very disrespectful toward you know, people who want to transition from being male to female in their social um, reception. And I guess what I am sad about is the hatred and mockery and antagonism. And I think, again, that that's the point, you know, picking up on what you're saying about the goal is confusion. The goal is also alienation. Um, you know, trans people who don't want to harm or insult anybody, by invading their spaces or scaring women or traumatizing rape victims um, are, are not going to be insensitive, right? And people like me who have no problem and feel, you know, one used to feel rather flattered that m biological men would go through all that trouble and, you know, lasering, <laughs> you know, uh, complication to join us, right? I have no problem welcoming people into the culture and community of women but you know whatever can I, jump, can I can i jump in there how how far does that go though well now you i knew you would go there because i used to think literally five years ago that the whole bathroom question was ridiculous right i thought no one was trying to get into women's bathrooms to scare anybody i didn't have a problem with you know i knew i'd been treated by trans male to female nurses i had no problem with it and I thought it was just a made-up right-wing canard, but now I see that no, I did. Um, but now I see that there is a really insidious agenda to 
like make high school girls feel unsafe to erase gender as an organizing category. And that's not, again, it's not organic, but I would like to hear more trans people's voices and LGBT voices saying, this is not us, just like you're hearing, you know, Jews say genocide, not in our name, you know, like there's some, or, or parents, you know, gay, lesbian and trans parents saying, we don't believe in sexualizing our children, <laughs> you know, the, the way they're, and grooming them, the way that schools are now grooming and sexualizing children using trans and LGBT discourse as a pretext for just sexualizing children. You know, if it was like, you know, girls, underage girls being sexualized and groomed to service, you know, male heterosexuals, we'd all see it for what it is right away. So I guess what I'm trying to say is I no longer think it's trivial. I do definitely think that there's, um, again, I don't think that trans people organically on their own want to invade women's sports or want to invade women's prisons. I think something is funding this and it would be very interesting to mm -hmm. see the flow of money. Someone is corralling people to create yes. like test cases and scenarios that are awful and uncomfortable and miserable. I mean, the way that administrations, you know, universities are, are, are endangering or shaming, you know, people who speak up for women only sports, even if you don't agree with that, which I do. Um, my view is all sports categories are artificial anyway, choose a, create another category where trans athletes can compete or, um, or, or do an X, Y, you know, XX chromosome evaluation or, you know, create some do, other category that solves the problem. Do, do you see the, the conflict between your ideals there though? Yes. You, you know, right. if you're saying that you want to welcome trans women into the women culture and community, but then you also want to exclude them from these spaces and sports, et cetera, that's the problem. So for me, it's very simple, right? right. So I, I, I don't have any conflict personally, because I'm, I'm happy to be exclusive in certain regards, right? Because there are <laughs> the, the the sex distinction is extraordinarily right. important, especially when it comes to something as obvious as competitive sport. Yeah. Um, so I think this is the predicament that people put them in. This, by the way, is why I don't why I don't use people's preferred pronouns, because if I start referring to a male as she and I start referring to a male as a woman, her, she, whatever, and then I'm now saying, oh, she should not be allowed to compete in female sport. I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth because I'm confirming the femaleness by using these pronouns. Right. And then I'm saying there should be a line. And, and so I, I personally won't, won't do it. Right. If I will refer to a man, I will refer to a male as a male man. Um, I'll refer to a female as a female. If someone is personally there, I've only ever experienced this like twice in my life where, okay, there's actually someone who is trans, who's sort of there in the vicinity and we're having a group conversation and I'm happy to call anyone by whatever name. I will call someone by their name. I'll call them you. I mean, that's typically how we actually talk to people. Um, but to me, the pronoun thing is, it's a nefarious lie. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a lie. And I know why people go along with it. Cause I know people are trying to be like compassionate and exclusive and even just polite. Right. But I think that every time you refer to a male as a she, or every time you refer to a female as a he, you're inadvertently allowing all the stuff downstream now. Do you, right. do you kind of see what I mean? Where yeah. it, you're, 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 you're partly playing the game where they're like, okay, well, so that's a man. It's like, well, right. no, it's like, it, 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 it gets too confusing because people are now trying to sort of have these two things in their head where they know the truth, they know the biological reality. They're like, okay, this person is a male. Maybe they've 
you know, taken some hormones or maybe they've done this or this, but you know, okay, this person is still right. a male. Um, but then when people then try to draw the lines, you can't, you can't sort of honestly draw the lines anymore because yeah. you're saying someone is a woman, but they're also yeah. not. You, you see what I mean? I do. I've got to really think about what you just challenged me on because I, I do remember, <laughs> right, a culture in which trans women want, you know, wanted to be part of, you know, women's culture out of longing and respect. And as a woman, I've got to respect that. But but that was before this whole discourse about what about changing rooms? What about, you know, sports, right? Mm. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is, I feel like we used to have a civil space and a community in which all of these, you know, other issues like, well, what do we do with people who are not biologically female, you know, competing in sports who don't identify as men? Those are problems that we could solve if we had maintained a civil, kind, welcoming community space without these outside forces trying to whip up division and create um, flashpoints, right? That's my view. Um, because I remember for decades, you know, there were trans women and they wanted equal rights and they, you know, would like to be taken as women when in their professions, because that's the gender that they believed that they were most comfortable with. And it wasn't a big deal. So you're, so you're saying, so you're saying they wanted to be paid less? Well, <laughs> <laughs> But I, um, <laughs> I guess uh, I guess where I'm going is if we if we were not being kept artificially apart with these issues artificially inflamed, we could collectively find solutions. And I don't just you know like well let's let's have a you know a third category for athletes you know who don't identify with either gender they can compete against each other or let's change the category to XX over here XY over there. Like I'll never forget going being checked into the hospital, I was asked what gender I was assigned at birth and if I identified with that gender. And I'm like, you know, I am like, I am sitting in front of you being a female, like you need to go back to medical school. But, um, but, uh, but then I was told in a kind of confessional, and I get a lot of confessionals, because of the, the work I do, that the guideline in the hospital was to respect the gender that people said they were, but to treat them according to their biological gender medically. Because this, biological this, gender is it, a medical the, thing. The thing is this, it, it just, as again, I said, the, the, the confusion is, is very intentional. Mm. Um, it, it, it's such a, it's, I mean, it's such a strange thing. It's so weird, you know, how much sort of time this topic even gets when you think of all the other things going on in the world and which is the point which is yeah the point. and and such a tiny percentage of the population that this is but mm -hmm. i think the reason why it's i think there's there's two major reasons why it's such a hot button issue and why it's important like why i even would spend my time talking about it number one is because this stuff is being pushed on children now totally. it's being pushed on children kids are being indoctrinated there falling into not true gender dysphoria, but this strange social contagion thing that is going on where suddenly 
you know, there's quote unquote trans kids, right? It's kind of like vegan cats. I don't, I don't buy into it. Um, and then I think the second one is just that it's, it's a lie that you're trying to get everybody to participate in. I think that's the problem, right? So some people frame it and, you know, you like, you know, I, I think you, you, you frame it in respect and dignity and sort of politeness. And I think there's a time and place for that. But I think with the way that it's being pushed now is it's not about that. It's that, it's that same authoritarian creep. Yeah. Right. If someone is trying to force me, look, I will treat anybody as an individual. I will treat anybody fairly and decently. Mm-hmm. Right. I can simultaneously recognize that a man cannot actually be a woman and a woman cannot actually be a man, no matter how many, how you dress, no matter how many hormones you take, no matter what surgeries you do, I cannot turn into a woman. I will never be a woman. I will never, it's not, it's not possible, right? It's, it's a scientific unreality. It's not a biological reality. And I won't for the sake of so-called politeness or compassion, I won't go along with the lie, right? People can be free to, if you're an adult, you can live as you like, um, I don't need to understand it. I don't need to necessarily approve of it or whatever, right? If you want to go and fill your face with tattoos, I might think that that's a bad idea, but you know, I'm not trying to put in a legal impediment to to block you from doing it. There's many things that people do that I don't think are good for them and I don't think are necessarily healthy, but they still do it. I don't think it's healthy to drink tons of alcohol. I don't think it's healthy to smoke. Um, but if you want to do it, you can you can do it. The problem is this forcing other people to do it. And what's interesting with it is um, when you bring it into sort of another belief system, people do tend to understand it, right? So take take religion. We all understand in the Western world that you are free to believe and practice your religion or no religion. But if I go around and I start trying to force my religious beliefs on other people and then play victim if they don't want to 100% go along with it all, I'm I'm not the victim there. Like I'm I'm the bad guy. I'm the one who's being tyrannical. I'm the one trying to force everyone else. I'm trying to ram my religion down everyone else's throat. I don't want other people to do that to me. Um, and I don't want other people to, and I don't want to do that to other people. But when it comes to this particular ideology, the problem isn't that, Hey, some people just want to live their lives and be free from discrimination. I'm totally on board with that part. But when it's like, Hey, you must use this language. You have to say this word, you have to do this. You have to do, I'm like, no, no, that's, that's, that's the crossing the line from, freedom and liberty into authoritarianism and trying to control other people. Um, And that's, that's the clash that's happening. And I think that's why it's becomes sort of this, you know, fervent issue and, and clash despite being something that seems really frivolous. It seems frivolous on the surface, but I think the sort of the, the, the deeper implications are quite serious. They really, they really are. Um, Because why, I mean, I was just so interested in the construction of these definitions on Planned Parenthood because it basically means you're a, like any group of kids who are, you know, 12 to 16 years old, you'd have to announce to the world that you are a loser and a dinosaur and a benighted kind of troglodyte to choose to say, I'm a man, you know, especially, and, and also I'm a woman, 
um, because that implies or suggests that you agree with strict gender roles and you, you know, are a, a rigid paleo traditionalist who, you know, wants women to be at home, you know, barefoot and pregnant. I mean, it's a there's nothing a, wrong with women being in the home barefoot and pregnant. Right. They shouldn't be forced to, but there's nothing wrong with it. If you want to be barefoot <laughs> and pregnant, it's you party on. But I guess also as a feminist, I will say that this um, true new trend in breaking apart gender and policing language around gender does uh, kind of destroy feminism. Um, because I keep thinking back to when I was a um, counselor at a rape crisis center in Edinburgh, and it was a safe space. And it was a safe space because there were no men. I mean, I'm sorry, but, you know, the overwhelmingly women are raped by men. Naomi, I'm in favor of gender segregation in certain situations. So yeah, yeah, my feelings are not hurt. Me too, because honestly, <laughs> you know, the we were all rape survivors and it feels different to be in a room where no one can rape you the way you were raped by a man, you know, even if women can do all kinds of other horrible things. But um, I think I think it's got to be okay. Like the fact that I have to preface this conversation now by saying it's got to be okay to talk about the needs of women, <laughs> you know, defined as biological women. Um, and I, I need to like caveat that with like, you know, please don't hate me world. Um, me, that I guess what I just want to stress is that's the sign that all of this um, confusion and uh, fragmentation and policing and kind of um, creating third rails out of normal conversation, that's the purpose of it. Because we should be able to say, what do trans people need? What's reasonable? What do women need? What's reasonable? What are we willing to accomplish for everyone in a society without people freaking out? Um, and that's just what I want to say. Like I, mm. I, I am starting to resent as a woman and as a feminist, the fact that, you know, two, three, 150 years of very hard work went into telling the world the story of what happens to women, women in a patriarchal world and, and telling the story of the female body, you know, uh, and, and the, it, what it goes through. And, and it's hard work being a biological woman, you know, it's hard work menstruating, it's hard work conceiving a child is hard work, carrying a child, hard work, delivering a child, hard work, breastfeeding, you know, all of it is hard. And I, I do feel that the, um, like the, the whole fight of feminists of my generation was not to be silenced. And so it's paradoxical and ironic. There's a whole new silencing of our mm -hmm. experience and our bodies going on right now. Yes. And by the way, the reason why earlier on, I said that I think the most blatant and obvious form of misogyny that exists right now in the mainstream is coming from the trans activists. Let me be specific and say I'm talking about these activists. Um, the reason I actually say that is because all of the negative, the true and real world negative implications of all of this fall on females. Right. All that's of that's true. Right. Men, me, it, nobody's worried about men's prisons. No, no one's, one's worried trying about to get into sports. No, no like one's dinosaurs get yeah, into it, sports or, or bulls it, or you know something bigger than men. What would be bigger yeah, than men? It's I like, mean, yeah, good luck bull. if a woman, yeah, if a woman wants to try to identify as a man and try to enter men's sports. Like, good luck to you. Right? <laughs> so, so all of the, this is like a hundred percent of the damage of all of this movement is falling on girls and women. Now, 
I'm not generally uh, known to be fond of feminism. We can save that for another conversation. But this is one issue where I'm like, <laughs> on this issue, I'm like a bigger feminist than a lot of people who call themselves feminists. Because I'm like, look, women, women are a distinct category. Like there, there are there are males, there are females. Men and women are different. Girls and boys are different. We experience different things in lives. Like you've yeah. talked about the bodies, the things women go through. I'm never going to have a period. I'm yeah. never going to carry a child. I'm never going to breastfeed. I'm, I'm never going to do any of these things. I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine monthly, weekly hormonal fluctuations, right? I'm just all through the month. I feel the same, right? <laughs> so I, I recognize all this stuff, right? Women are much more vulnerable. So many social codes. That and, excuse me, and stronger in other ways as a result. It's not just about vulnerability. Yeah, yeah. And the, you know, the reason we even have certain social codes and the way that society is organized in certain ways is because of this sexually dimorphic difference. Mm, yeah. Right. Uh, even certain you know, codes of chivalry, right. You know, like if the statement, you know, you know, you should, a man should never hit a woman. There's no statement, you know, a woman should never hit a man either. But the reason why that's like a well-known statement cross-culturally in different countries and whatever is because we recognize the difference in physical strength and, 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 and so on. So if a woman were to hit me versus if I were to hit a woman, even though we're both doing the wrong thing, the proportionality of the damage from me doing it is going to be much more severe. So it, it, it's weird because we, we live in this strange time where we, we understand reality but people are sort of forced ideologically to pretend that they don't. And I think this is very deranging for yeah, people no. and de deranging for society because you can't just speak honestly about the differences between males and females right. and have honest conversations about those things because someone always kind of wants to throw a wrench in there to make it seem like you're saying something you're not saying or that you're somehow being a bigot or you're a phobe or you're an ist or whatever. And it's just like, look, I'm just trying to talk about right. reality. Let's at least agree on reality and mm -hmm. then we can have divergent opinions on it. But the problem now is people are not even agreeing on what that reality itself is. No, that's another one of the weaponized phrases, my truth. It used to be the truth. What is the truth? And now it's like my truth. And and then you've got these, like, again, I used to think this was all imaginary right-wing nonsense, but little kids really are identifying as, you know, animals or kittens. Yes. <laughs> By the way, it's getting worse. I'm noticing things that we really need to surface. Like I saw an ad for Whirlpool and they are boasting about putting washers and dryers in schools because a lot of kids, they claim don't go to school or don't do well in school because they don't have clean clothes. Well, my mother's brain immediately went, where are those kids going to get undressed? Who's going to watch those kids get undressed? Who's going to be present while they're laundering their clothes? You know, like, like this Im imposition of these very intimate parental roles in, and sexual, like, like sexualizing roles into elementary and middle school and junior high school and high school is, is really happening. And I'm very worried about that. Just like I'm worried about, you know, the, the fact that there are in America counselors now in high school and middle school that can prescribe uh, psychiatric drugs without parents knowing, or all these laws to, to, you know, give kids the right to consent for injections. And well, I'm sure you've heard about, um, schools where you have a totally different social name, right? A different gendered name, uh, than your parents know about. And 
And I'm seeing this like storyline embedded in lots of hit movies that I really love, like, you know, Sex oh, wow. and the City. And I'm, I'm watching Dope Sick. And there's this always this storyline of like the trans kid who really needs to be freed by the school or the, you know, lesbian teenager who whose parents don't understand her, who needs to be freed by the town doctor. And, and you know, parents suck, but um, the the interpolation of all these state actors. <laughs> why, why did you say that? No, I'm just saying like there, you know, it's definitely true that there are parents who will not understand their gay kids or their lesbian kids or their kids who, you know, want to grow up to be another gender. But I'm just saying like, it's true that not every parent is perfect. I'm not perfect, right? Like, I'm sure I missed things. Um, but I guess what I'm trying to say is, dominant culture and the law is exploiting the fact that some parents aren't perfect in order to rationalize interpolating these layers of state actors like medical professionals, psychiatric counselors, um, and, you know, other, you know, Planned Parenthood for that matter, to, to tell kids um, to, to take a parental role. And that's catastrophic because it's never in the direction of you're fine the way you are, you know, grow up and love someone. Let, we're all, let's just try to be a wonderful classroom in school, whatever our gender or sexuality or race, right? That's never the message from these people. The message is mm. always, I can fix you or the state can fix you by this injection or this pill or this transition to another gender, which is very valuable to the pharmaceutical industry or, yes. you know, some God awful intervention, right? That is that where money is involved. Mm -hmm. um, I, I never hear, I guess what I, you know, this sounds sentimental and I keep going back to it, but if like, I don't even hear a discourse of whatever your individual life experience, race, gender, sexuality, it's important, but it doesn't make you categorically different as a human being than other human beings that you can talk to and that can have compassion for you because they are human. And there's this range of human experiences that we all have. Well, I'll never know what it's like to be black. You know, you'll never know what it's like to be a Jewish woman. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter as like all of those differences are valuable and they're important. Yes but they're not, they don't define us as human beings. Yes, and I never yes. hear that being said anymore, except on the libertarian right. Conservatives and conservatives and libertarians. Right? It used to be human. It used to be liberal. What happened? Yeah. Yeah. This is the problem. You know, the collectivism and the labels and the identity politics and just not seeing people as individuals, but seeing them as groups and then pitting them in hierarchies of oppression against one another. And uh, the truth is that we know even from history, that doesn't go well, you know, that does, that doesn't go well. Once you start seeing people as just groups of oppressors and oppressed and you start playing those power games and the tribalism, it can go, it can go bad very, very quickly and very dangerously. So, um, that's something I certainly warn against Naomi. There are so many things we can talk about. Gosh, I, I, I definitely want to have you on the podcast again. Um, I feel like there's a whole bunch of things that we can talk about and I hope that you've given me some food for thought. I hope I've given you some food for thought. Um, tell people a little bit about your most recent book. Sure. So it's called Facing the Beast and the subtitle is uh, Courage, Faith and Resistance in a New Dark Age. And, um, you know, as I mentioned, the main story is the story of my being ousted from the left and um, 
uh, you know, embraced by people who happen to be conservatives and libertarians and a lot of people of faith, interestingly, who wanted to hear if there was a threat to women and babies, interestingly. Um, and, you know, as I mentioned, how those conversations led me to question things I believed, you know, ranging from, I realized I believed a lot of nonsense, ranging from, you know, what happened on January 6th to uh, the Steele dossier, the Russia hoax, you know, I could go on and on. Um, it turns out I was just wrong about and believed a lot of things that weren't true. But that doesn't make me a conservative, but it means that I'm recognizing that I was lied to. Um, You'll get there. Sorry? You'll get there. I'll get there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that part of the chessboard. And it also, as I mentioned, um, brings uh, forward this incredible story of these 30, 250 doctors and scientists and nurses and biostatisticians and medical fraud investigators, lab clinicians, biological scientists who, under the leadership of my colleague Amy Kelly, have read through these tens of thousands of documents released under court order from Pfizer and have found catastrophic harms. Um, and I won't you know, go into detail, it's all in the book, but basically Pfizer knew they were murdering and sterilizing and disabling masses of humanity. And the FDA knew and the White House knew. Um, we've got lawyers who foiled, foiled e emails from the White House uh, and they're finding that the White House covered up um, warnings from pediatricians about myocarditis in young adults covered up horrible harms to pregnancy and childbirth and maternal fetal health, poisoned breast milk, knew and covered it up, um, covered up knowledge of strokes and blood clots and, and covered it up at the highest levels. So it's pretty impactful. And we're, um, we've been the leading edge. Our findings have been the leading edge in driving um, uptake of boosters down to 2.7%. That's a generous assessment. And wow. um, Pfizer's revenues have collapsed to before 2020 levels. So all of their COVID wealth has been wiped out by the, the good journalism of my team. <laughs> and I guess the last thing... I, I, um, I, hope, I hope you're protecting yourself. <laughs> I married my bodyguard. I literally married my bodyguard. It's very useful. Good. Good. Um, and... Uh, the last thing, which I think, you know, we haven't touched on, but is, is like so important and I'm not proselytizing, but I, I did, re, you know, have this insight in the middle of this journey that the evil I was seeing around the world and the shape it took and the targeting of the family, the lies and the delusion and the forcing uh, people to do, take into their bodies what they didn't want to take into their bodies. Um, and the way that all of these governments were speaking lockstep with the same language, um, it, with no dissent, it wasn't normal human history. That's not what history looks like. Um, there's always dissenters or rich people who don't go along with it because they don't need the money or uh, factions or backstabbing or assassinations. None of that was happening. And um, I'm not calling for assassinations. I'm just saying there were no, there was no, uh, fracturing of this massive uh, encroaching of evil in 2020 to the present, um, the lockdowns and so on. And I, I just had to conclude that uh, this was a metaphysical, that the political and material mm. conflicts we saw were driven by a massive cosmic metaphysical struggle between good and evil that could not be explained in mm. simple human terms. Um, it wasn't acting like simple human history. And so mm. I came to believe 
paradoxically, the evil was so impressive and big, and it had to be aimed at something that I came to believe in God in a more wow. literal than I had before. And so um, the second half of the book really talks about that part of the journey. Amazing. I'm going to have to read it. And you know what's so fascinating is you are not the only person who I know who has come to believe in God over the past couple of years because they have just seen evil. They've looked evil right in the face and experienced yeah. it and thought, okay, well, if that is that real and I can't totally understand it on a human level, then the opposite force must also be real. So man, that's a whole other conversation. But Naomi, where can people find and follow you online? Thank you. Uh, go to dailyclout.io and you can download the 89 reports our volunteers have produced from Pfizer documents there for free. You can order it in book format, um, Pfizer documents book on Amazon. And my new book, which pub date is officially tomorrow uh is facing the beast and please order it on amazon um and and uh spread the word because uh i'm definitely not going to be <laughs> able to talk about it in legacy media. <laughs> awesome naomi wolf thank you so much for coming on the show it's thank uh, you, been Steve. a pleasure talking to you the pleasure's mine thank you so much i am the man sick with the slang sick and i'm destined for fame two for the fame